0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: Please turn to Job chapter 20. Job chapter 20. Right before the book of Psalms. So it's almost in the middle of your Bible, slightly left of center. So if you've been with us through this study, through the last uh, 19 chapters, we've seen Job's calamity, we've seen uh, Job's suffering. His friends uh, have come to him to give him aid and to minister to his needs. And we've seen some um, good counsel, and we've seen some uh, fairly bad counsel by his friends. Nevertheless, we see Job um, in his reaction to um, all of these things. And we also make application to our lives because there are many times throughout our life that we will go through difficulties, that we will go through trials, tragedies, loss, sickness, um, all of the things that affected Job. And so we can see ourselves in a lot of the things that he's gone through. And we can take heart and know that, that uh, ultimately God has uh, the best for Job. He has the best for us. See, Job was a righteous man. Um, he believed in God. And he had his times of doubt. No, no question about that. He had his times of even turning from God as we go through this this book. Um, But we ultimately know that he never uh, blamed God and uh, he eventually will come back. But um, tonight we're going to look at one of Job's other friends, Zophar. We've already heard from him earlier in some chapters before. And um, we see Zophar's reaction to Job's speech in chapter 19, which Job was trying to uh, defend himself against the accusations of his friends that were coming against him. And see, so we see here Zophar kind of wanting to answer Job's latest speech, his latest defense of himself. And we see this, we see this back and forth. And so tonight we're going to look at this uh, sermon by Zophar. It's it's really a sermon on his impression or his description of the wicked man and his end. And he makes this application to Job. But what he has to say in this chapter is really nothing new. And if you've been with us uh, throughout, you've heard a lot of these things before. Um, you know, this is a, a kind of an unusual book to to teach because we see a lot of repeating of the same themes over and over again. But I think it's for our instruction. I've noticed that throughout the Scriptures, when God repeats Himself, He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to make a point. And He knows that there are things that we need to hear over and over again. So I think that we will will recognize some of the things that Zophar talks about tonight in this speech. But uh, it's for, again, for our edification, for our building up um, in our relationship with the Lord and how we kind of respond when things happen in our life and when people come and try to minister to us. You know, all three of Job's friends have said these things before, the things that we're going to read about, the things we're going to hear tonight. But it seems as though every time Job answers them or Job tries to defend the accusation against them, another one will come in and try to uh, make a point. It's almost like a tag team uh, where those friends just keep coming at him every time Job tries to answer one of them. So tonight, uh, Zophar is going to address the things that Job said in chapter 19. He's going to make some general statements about wicked men. And as we've seen before, many times their, their general statements don't always hold true. And we see that in life, things are not always black and white. Things are not always as they seem. You know, Psalm 73 Um, the psalmist writes from the other perspective. You know, Zophar is going to say, the wicked always suffer. These are three things that always happen to the wicked. Uh, We see in Psalm 73, Asaph says, no, that's not always true. He says, but as for me, in verse 2 to 7, my feet almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. "...for there are no pangs in their death. Their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish." So this is Asaph's experience with the wicked men. He's saying, God, I don't understand. I'm righteous, they're wicked, yet they seem to prosper." They seem to have abundance. They don't even, they're not concerned about dying. Why is that, God? You know, Asaph wrote several Psalms, and he couldn't understand why the wicked many times prosper. We also, I think, struggle with that, don't we? When we see someone that we know is just turning away from God, uh, an, an evil person, and yet they tend to prosper we would much rather this world be kind of tied up in a neat little package that we could always depend on, that was always predictable. But that's just not how this world works, and we see that. So as much as Zophar claimed that the world was predictable, his words to Job really rang empty. We see it doesn't happen like that all the time, although Many times we wish it would that we way we, we we would be able to know, we would be able to see and predict and understand a little bit better. See the problem with Job's friends is that the statements that they make all along are only partially true. They they have a lot of truth to them, but not the entire truth. And we see that a lot. We even make application to today, to today, in the culture, we see that a lot of people will put forth statements that are only partially true. People will say half-truths in order to prove their point. And then it becomes very difficult for us to try to discern fact from fiction, truth from half-truths, where do we get the, the real information about what's going on in our world it's very, very difficult. That's why, certainly not in politics or culture as much, but in spiritual things, the Holy Spirit will help dis- us discern those things so that we can have understanding according to God's Word. Uh, Jesus told us in John sixteen thirteen. "...however, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth." For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you the things to come. So the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us as believers, will guide us into all truth. When we're confused about the things in this world, when we're confused about spiritual things, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us so that we can know that we're doing things according to God's ways. So that is a kind of a background to jumping in here now to Job chapter 20. And in verses 1 through 4, it reads, well, we'll go to 1 through 3 first. Then Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Therefore, my anxious thoughts make me answer because of the turmoil within me. I have, I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. So here we, we see kind of jo- Zophar's attitude. He was insulted by the things that Job had said in the previous chapter, and he felt a need to kind of put Job in his place. And a lot of what Zophar will say it is actually disproven by Scripture. But remember, they didn't have the luxury of the Scriptures. It's been. Uh, it's believed that Job was actually the first book written in the Bible. So they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Book of Psalms. They didn't have the Book of Proverbs to go to, to to get guidance and direction. They didn't obviously. They didn't have the New Testament where we have Jesus' teachings to help us and the and the Apostle Paul to guide us through certain things. So a lot of times we see, especially in the Old Testament. And in this book particularly, we see people kind of reacting or responding to things more out of, um, like from the heart. So Job's friends spoke to him from the heart. They didn't have what we have. Uh, Sometimes they were accurate in assessing the situation. Sometimes not so much you know his friends kept telling him over and over again, "Job, it's a very simple equation. Wickedness equals suffering. Wickedness equals suffering. Very simple. It's it's you know we see that and it's natural for us to desire consequences for bad behavior. You know, that makes sense to us. You know, that somebody does something wicked then they're going to suffer. It's natural. It's a it's kind of a typical human response, even if our experience tells us otherwise, even if our observation of the things in this world tell us that that doesn't always happen. So it's natural to wonder why God is gracious and merciful to people when they don't deserve his mercy, when their hearts are hard and stubborn and and they're turned away from God. Maybe we forget that many of us, most of us, were also once Hard-hearted and stubborn, we too didn't deserve God's grace or mercy, and yet He extends His love and grace to us, that we might receive salvation. Romans five eight tells us, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were ma- not when we were perfect, not when we were doing everything right. Not when we were righteous. No, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's grace. That's his undeserved kindness to us. And it's something that we accept and we believe as, as followers of Christ. And yet it's something that we don't quite understand in this world. So Zophar here was disturbed in his heart because Job insisted on his innocence, but it didn't line up with Zophar's accusations or his view of the world. Wickedness equals suffering. So he felt it necessary to address Job's situation. Zophar addresses it in three ways. The first thing he does is that he claims that the life of the wicked is short. So this is an overarching philosophy, a truism, that Zophar is saying that the wicked live a short life. So in verses 4 through 11, he says, Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, that the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? Through his haughtiness, Though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, "Where is he? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like the, like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will he place be, his place behold him any more. His children will seek the favor of the poor and his hands will restore his wealth his bones are full of youthful vigor but it, he will lie down it will lie down with him in the dust so zophar here is telling job he's really making this statement unfounded statement it's not based on any fact that the life of the wicked man is short his his uh, his life will be will be brief, and it's because of his wickedness that that will happen. He refuse, he refers here to the supposed fact that, um, but he doesn't enter any evidence into it to to, to prove his point. If he, even if he went back to the story of the flood, which was probably passed down over the generations. Um, he would have realized that God waited 120 years before he brought judgment on the people, on the the entire wicked human race. So God is patient. God's character demonstrates love and patience, long-suffering. Psalm 86.15 tells us, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. 1st Timothy 1:16 tells us, "However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for et- everlasting life." This is a pattern of God's character, long suffering, patience. He doesn't wipe us out at our first sin. And thank God for that. I, that's personally my feeling If God had wiped me out You know, the first time that I turned from him But Zophar so expresses his, his view Of this problem of evil Unlike most people do he, he begins with the premise that The wicked will always suffer And the righteous will always prosper But most people, I, I believe most people Actually see it the other way around that's what has puzzled the human race since the beginning of time. Why do, the, why do the wicked prosper? Do a Google search and find out how many articles have been written, how many sermons have been written about why the wicked prosper. And you'll be amazed. And scripture is full of people who have seen this matter kind of from the opposite viewpoint of what Zophar is putting forth. So far, puts this very simplistic equation forth. Wickedness equals suffering. But that's not how it's played out in, in real terms, and it's not also backed up by Scripture. Jeremiah 12, Jeremiah questioned God about this. You know, and he had a very difficult, difficult ministry. And he goes in verses 1 through 4, he says... Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. (laughs) Let me talk with you, God, about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them, yes. They have taken root. They grow, yes. They bear fruit. You are near in their mouth, but far from their mind. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me. And you have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said, he will not see our final end. See that not only are they arrogant and prideful, but they get away with it. And Jeremiah Question God. God, let me ask you. We question God sometimes, don't we, when we see that? It's not a sin, by the way, to question God, to ask God for clarity or to reveal his plan and purpose. But Jeremiah questioned God, dealing with the wicked and allowing them to flourish. But Zophar sees the world differently. He claims the wicked will die in their youth, never enjoying the achievements of their evil ways. He says their ill-gotten wealth will fade away. There won't be an inheritance to pass on. But that also isn't always true, is it? Sometimes we see the wealthy enjoy their gain, and we see it for generations. And it might have been ill-gotten gain, and yet they continue to enjoy it. So whether we look at secular history or biblical the biblical record, we realize that there are no set rules when it comes to the fate of the wicked or or the fate of the righteous, for that matter. Actually, we see God's grace many times in allowing the wicked to live a long life. See, many times God is just giving that person more time to repent, more time to repent. And like I said before, I'm glad he didn't wipe me out the first time in my youth when I turned away from God. That's God's grace. We need to be grateful for that, thankful for that, and and rejoice in that. Zophar wasn't seeing the reality of God's nature. Instead, he was making assumptions based on the natural consequences of life. But God works outside the natural. God works in the supernatural. And so a lot of times we don't quite understand it. Zophar is going to go on and he's going to address uh, the next uh, item here, the next so-called truth about the wicked, and that is that their pleasure is temporary. Their pleasure is temporary. First, he said their life is short. Now he says their pleasure is temporary. In verses 12 through 19, he says, Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, Though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth, yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches, then vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. He will not see the streams the rivers flowing with honey and cream he will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down from the proceeds of business he will get no enjoyment for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor he has violently seized a house which he did not build so so far again we said there are many partial truths to some of the things that job's friends say one of the things that is true about this statement is that sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. There's just no way around that. Yes, there's pleasure, there's gratification, but usually that's short lived. Usually that's only for a season. But there are also other effects that sin has in our life, and those things are the things that cause pain and suffering and the punishment that comes from them. One usually doesn't come without the other. Sin usually does not come without consequences and most times painful consequences. He says in verse 14 through 16 here, yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. He compares the result of Job's sin with food in our mouths. And he says, while the food remains in our mouth, we continue to taste, taste it, right? We continue to enjoy it. But when we swallow it, you know, the taste goes away, and now it begins to affect our digestive system. And sometimes it becomes sour in our stomachs because the pleasure, which was momentary, which was brief, now turns to poison in our innermost being. And sometimes we do receive physical effects from our sin. But many times, many more times than than not, we receive the spiritual effect that separation from god that turns sour and it should turn sour in our stomachs and in verse 17 he will not see the streams the rivers flowing with honey and cream so in verse 17 there's this other consequence of sin see not only does it become now poison in our in our very being in our in our innermost being now not only do we now see the, uh, the ill effects of sin in our lives physically, spiritually, separation from God but now it also prevents us from enjoying the true pleasures of life notice he says he will not see the streams the streams are there, the beauty is there but he doesn't see it so we see here Zophar again is, is saying something that's mostly true Someone caught up in sin with the effects and consequences of sin in his life will not only feel those effects, but he won't be able to enjoy just the basic day-to-day pleasures. They just will elude him. The wicked man is so caught up in chasing sin that he he can't appreciate a beautiful sunrise or, or a flowing stream. His mind is consumed with seeking pleasure that the everyday things in life don't satisfy anymore. Now we see that, you know, in, uh, in the criminal world where criminals sometimes escalate, escalate, escalate because what, what they have previously done does not bring them the same satisfaction that they had before. So they have to continue to chase it more and more and more. And it consumes them to the point where they can't just enjoy the everyday beauty and blessings that they have in their life poor solomon went through this i call him poor solomon because i kind of feel bad for the guy even though he had everything he had all the money that uh, that was available to to him or anybody whoever was he had wisdom ab- above any anyone else and yet he finds himself in this situation in ecclesiastes where he fills his life with all this stuff, and yet it doesn't satisfy. Look what it says. Look what he writes. And it's a long passage, but I think it's instructive to us and applicable to this uh, study in Job tonight. Solomon says, "'I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish?' I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses, planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees Of the grove. I acquired male and female servants, and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled, And indeed, all was vanity. That word vanity means empty. And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. Not only does the wicked receive the consequences from his sin, but also is so consumed with getting more and more and more That they don't appreciate the simple things in life. The simple things. You heard the list of things that Solomon had. You would think he would be happier than any man ever alive, and yet it was empty emptiness for him. There was no pleasure there. He tried to fill his life with pleasure in order to gratify what? His flesh, right? His flesh. But his spirit was ignored. His spirit was not was not filled because he did not consider his relationship with God. He was left feeling empty and unfulfilled. And even if those things satisfied maybe for a time, the novelty of them wore off, and he was left searching for more. And and Zophar says that. The wicked's pleasure is momentary. And in that, he's true. He's right. He goes on in verse 18 and 19 of Job chapter 20. He will restore that for which he labored. He will not swallow it down. From the proceeds of business, he will get no enjoyment. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build. So how much more judgment will come upon someone who not only sins, but then oppresses others? Maybe climbing the ladder of success oppresses others or uh, just tries to get more and more that he disregards the less fortunate just to quench the desire for more and more in his life. Hebrews 13.5 tells us, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus will fulfill our needs. Jesus will satisfy our desires if we follow him and commit to him. True contentment is not to be found in a sinful life which can only bring about pain and sorrow. It brings about heartache, not true contentment. In these things, Zophar spoke true. The only problem is, like most of Job's friends, they applied it to Job, and it didn't apply. But there are still lessons for us, aren't there, in these things? And then he goes on and continues here to describe the destiny of the wicked. And he says, their death is painful. Their death is painful. Their life is short, their pleasures don't last, and their death is painful. In verses 20 through 29, it says, because he knows no quietness in his heart, he will not save anything he desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore, his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, God will cast on him the fury of his wrath, and it will rain on him while he is eating. He will flee from the iron weapon. A bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of the body. Yes, the glittering point comes out of his gall. Terrors come upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. An unfanned fire will consume him. It shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of, this, of his house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. A wicked man will usually feel the guilt of his actions and this leads to a life filled with concern and worry and unease and anxiety his his concern about getting caught or a shortened life will cause him to live just for today no thought of the future no plans for the days ahead and it is this terror and guilt from past actions that produce an unfulfilled life and a painful death for the wicked. God will execute judgment on the wicked according to what he has done and deserves. Zophar's argument is that Job is only, he's just reaping the consequences of his sin. Job, this is a true statement, and the reason why you're suffering is because of your of your sin. He says in verse 22 to 23 in his self-sufficiency he will be in distress. So far indicated that self-sufficiency causes distresses in life. Self-sufficiency. And this is mostly true. Because in our own strength we tend to mess things up, don't we? A lot in this life. Most of our problems are come from us just not following God, going out on our own, thinking we have it covered, we have it all wired, and yet in our self-sufficiency we bring upon ourselves distress. That's why we are encouraged in the Bible to depend on God, to lean on God, right? Because in our self-sufficiency we get in trouble, Psalm 37, verse 5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Trust in God. God. Lean on God. Rest in Jesus, the Bible says. Not striving to try to get ahead or to do on our own or to be self-sufficient or to make our own way, but to follow that path that God has laid out for us and then lean on him and depend on the holy spirit to bring us through as we as we just depend on god for those things in our life peace in our hearts is directly related to our trust in god peace in our hearts is directly related to our trust in god zophar was accusing job of trusting in his own intellect in his own strength in his own wisdom that's why he's suffering so much. It is true that an abundant life can only come from a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. It is certainly true. And so far as he, as he gets to the end of this chapter, he says that the wicked will always get what's coming to them. In verses 24 through 27... It says, he will flee from the iron weapon, weapon. a bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of the body, yet glitter. yes, the glittering point comes out of his gall. So no matter how they try to escape, the wicked person will always get what's due. God will pursue him until judgment is carried out. And sometimes we don't always see that in this life, do we? Sometimes it'll look like the wicked will get away with it in this life. They'll continue to thrive until the day of their death. But this viewpoint that Zophar has is very simplistic, is very simplistic. I want to bring in another viewpoint because this one doesn't really factor in God's plan. God may desire a wicked person to flourish, In order to bring him to that point of repentance. It's been said that we can't put God into a box. And I believe that that's true. God may work in one way, in one person's life, in one circumstance, and a completely different way in another person's life. In another circumstance. See, this doesn't abolish God's character. It actually reveals God's character. God's relationship with us is a personal relationship. If God just had one blanket way of dealing with the whole human race, then there wouldn't be any personal relationship with Jesus. But that's not how he relates with us. He deals with us according to our individuality, according to our personality. And yet, yet sometimes we're confused about how God acts. In certain ways. But that just means that we're not able to comprehend it. It doesn't mean that God is doing something wrong. It just means that we're not able to understand God's ways. But his ways are always perfect. They're always right. But they're not always the same for everybody. 28 and 29 tells us the increase of his house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. Zophar here describes the loss of wealth and material things, and Job suffered those things. The loss of everything material, in addition to the loss of his family and the loss of his health. He did have financial material loss also. But that wasn't the only trouble that Job experienced. And sometimes... When we're suffering, people will only see the outward suffering, the outward things. But if we're able to hide it enough, they won't see the deep internal things that are going on in our lives. And sometimes we aren't, we don't take the time necessarily to look deeply into other people's lives to see what's going on. If we're given an opportunity to minister to someone, we need to take that time to establish a real relationship with them. We need to be willing to put ourselves out to develop relationships that are deeper. Now that we can't have that with everybody, but there might be people that God puts in your path that He's telling you that He wants you to have a deeper relationship with because there's a way that you can maybe minister to them. Job's friends were there when he needed them. They came running as soon as they found out he had a problem. But they didn't really take the time to get to know him, to get to know the depth of his sufferings. It's a lesson for us, I think, that we should desire that deeper level of relationship with people. There won't be the same intimacy with everybody. But there might be two or three people in your life that God wants to use you to minister to. And there may be maybe times in your life that you need somebody to look past the outward and the appearance that you may be putting on of the, everything's okay and to really seek that relationship with you and, and find out what's going on in, deep inside of you. It's all about relationships, folks. If it wasn't for our relationships with one another, we'd be lost because we wouldn't be able to use those gifts that God has given to each of us. So take these things from from Job's friends and and look at them in the in the way that that they that they are expressed in the scriptures and and a lot of times it, it, they're harsh and they're accusatory and. And, you know, they're not really very helpful. And think about how we might be able to respond to people in a, in, a, in a different way, in a deeper way. And the description of the fate of the wicked here that Zophar puts forth is a very narrow, very narrow description. It doesn't allow for God to be in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that suffering, it doesn't allow for God to maybe convict someone of their sin. Not related to Job, but, but this, this overall statement about the wicked. It doesn't allow for God to convict of sin and for someone to come forward and repent. There's little room here for confession. There's little room for forgiveness, repentance. There's little room for grace or mercy. But that's not our God. This is a very short-sighted view, a very narrow view of God. And I believe an incorrect view of God's character. So we need to be able to believe that God can do the impossible. And even if someone is in sin, if someone is going down the wrong path, believe that there's forgiveness there. Believe that there's repentance and the ability for restoration. We've seen it. We may be that person. We know that it's true. We know that God desires each and every person to be saved. And he will draw you to him. I just want to close with this one verse in Romans, chapter two, verse four. It says, "Or you, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness of God, leads
0: you to repentance?" Let's pray. You've been listening to. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.